0: So did he go on with it or did he chicken out? What did he do? What do he think? What would you have done? Wait. <laughs> There's a mother down here that says wait. <laughs> you don't count, mother. No, I'm good. Of course you do. Here's the point. We are filled with situations that are filled with ambivalent feelings. Conflicting voices. And we come to a situation exactly like that in today's scripture. Now, before we get into that, by the way, I think, I think I forgot. Hey, Leanna, would you call back there and have somebody bring out my, my Emily Dickinson? I think I forgot my book somewhere. Um, but we come. Thank you, Vernon. I'm so, get, you know, past 50, I just can't remember. Can't hardly <laughs> can't I remember who I am anymore. Anyhow, as we preach our way through John, remember where we are contextually, as far as the scripture itself goes. remember. Thank you, Mary Beth. I appreciate that. Uh, Now, if I can only remember to read it. If I I finish the sermon, I haven't read out of this, say, hey, give me a little Dickinson here. Um, Remember that last week, as we talked about the raising of Lazarus, that was the last of Jesus' seven signs as to who he was. The last that God would teach us through the actions of Jesus, about the identity of Jesus. Now we begin a section which we find the identity of Jesus signed through things that are done to him, people that come to him. Now remember historically where we are also as you turn in your scriptures to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. In the last of the 11th chapter, you remember That after the raising of Lazarus, there was a big brouhaha. People were out to get him. And therefore, he went away to pray, went away to be with his father. And now he is coming for the first time back into the public setting in Bethany. And therefore, those that receive him are in a very precarious position. This is the first of the the ambivalent uh, circumstances that we see. If they receive him, they are in dangers from the authority. He's an outlaw. But if they don't... Their hearts will cry out because he has affected their lives to such a degree that they have to show. They're compelled to show their appreciation. Now let me read just the eight verses together and then I'm going to go into detail with you. Jesus therefore six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You can can see the writer that was there remembering that. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii, and given to poor people. Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Jesus therefore said, let her alone, in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. We open in a situation where Jesus has come to a house. Now, John doesn't name what house it is. If you read the account in Matthew chapter 26, or especially the account of, of, of in Mark 14, you're given more details. And one of the details you're given in Mark 14 is that this is the house of Simon the, the leper. Now, we have at least two people. In this banquet, there are at least 15 that you can just name by name. I mean, there's disciples and Mary and Martha and and Simon the leper, who Jesus has cured from leprosy, and Lazarus, who Jesus has raised from the dead. And so you have people in addition to the disciples who owe their lives to Jesus or the lives of those they love. And so therefore, even though they are surrounded by enemies... They can't help but show their appreciation. Now, Martha is serving, as usual. We talked last week about the girls and about their different personalities. And we're going to concentrate on Mary today, as Vernon said. But I don't want our concentration on Mary to make us presume that the gifting by Martha was not just as extravagant as the gifting by Mary. Now, let me tell you why that is. There's been a book recently uh, uh, um, uh, authored, and I, can't, I don't know who it was or what the name of the book is, but it's, it's uh, uh, the five love. Is it the five love languages? Is that the title? Five love languages. Most some of many of you've read that, and its thesis is this: that all of us <clears throat> have certain categories in which we are best able to receive love, and it really benefits your lover if you know what category that is. <laughs> Because we are most receptive to love if it comes in a certain form. Now, uh, one of those is gifts. Some of us love to be loved by receiving gifts. One of those is touch. Some of us love to be loved by being touched. One of those is um, words of, a, of, of affirmation. Some of us love to be loved by, by having people um, build us up and encourage us. Uh, One of those is acts of service. One of those is, uh, and and the last one is um, 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 quality time. Thank you. (laughs) Many of you have read this, haven't you? Good. Okay, good. Now, here's the deal. Jesus can receive love however it's given. All right? I mean, he's just, he knows the heart. He's glad to do that. But if we don't know the other person's love language, we are most likely to project onto them the way we like to receive love. And that's exactly what was happening that day. What do you suppose Martha's love language was? Acts of service, exactly. What do you suppose Mary's love language was? Quality time, exactly. Whenever you see them in the gospel, Mary's just sitting there, just spending time with Jesus, no agenda. And Martha's running around. Now, here's the deal. We can't build a hierarchy here of what is the most important way to serve Jesus because all of us serve Jesus in the way we're wired. That's the way it ought to be. People do that not only with love language, they do it with spiritual gifts. I've seen people label churches and say, I tell you what a church is a real church and then they'll supply their spiritual gift. Uh, you know, the person with the, with the spiritual gift of evangelism, they'll say, I tell you what's a real church. A real church is the one that's l- winning souls to Christ, winning people to Christ, that's a real church people with the gifts of, of, of service or help say, i tell you what a real church is. A real church is a church that's helping the poor for crying out loud. There are people who just need help and, 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 and people that stand up there and are talking about la-la land and they just need to help people with, people with the gift of mercy. We'll say, i tell you what a real church is. A real church is the, is the church that binds up the wounded, that, that goes to broken, that people walk in with broken hearts and we stand up there giving lectures and their hearts are broken for crying out loud. Real church is a church that shows compassion. If you have a if you have the gift of teaching, you'll say a real church is the one that that disseminates the word of God and sound doctrine. It's the most important thing in the world. The rest of it just all comes from that. If you have a gift of prophecy, you'll say, I'll tell you what a real church is. Real church is the one that just makes you sweat because of your sin. That's a real <laughs> church. You know? Well, see, you go down the line and you and you project your spiritual gift. Now, what I don't want to do here is, 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 is miss what Martha has done. I've made many blunders in my in my growth in Christ, and one of my early blunders was just exactly that. I, I assumed because my gift is teaching that uh, that that if you, when you really got mature you taught, and if you were mature in Christ you ought to get a Bible study and teach it. And I can remember going over to my sister's house one time early in our marriage, and I was talking with Michelle and said, "So what are you doing with the Lord these days?" You know, and she said, "Well, I just got done." making all these crafts for our church bazaar. And I said, Michelle, how long have you been a Christian now? And she said, yeah, you know, and she said, and, and, and I said, you ought to be teaching a Bible study by now, for crying out loud. I mean, crafts are fine, but you ought to be teaching the word. She just looked crestfallen. And I looked at, I looked at my brother in law he wanted to kill me on the spot. <laughs> you know, well, see, that was stupid of me because that was her act of, that was her form of love. That was her adoring of Christ, was those acts of service. So, so we don't want to just pass over Martha. Martha also was loving Christ extravagantly here. But there is a very sweet picture of Mary that I suspect might, might really affect us all. Look with me at the third verse. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard. Now let me tell you exactly what this is and exactly why it's so valuable. It says later in the scripture that Judas said this could be sold for 300 denarii. That was a tidy sum of money. Nard is not just perfume. It is actual oil that mixes with the skin. When I was in Cairo, I I bought just a little I can't imagine what a, what a pound, it says a pound, it means a pint, almost, a, it's, a, it's approximately a pint. And I bought just this, this little container for Becky. And, I, and they told me the price, I said, what? And they said, let me tell you why this is so much more expensive. This is not perfume that, that, that you um, um, adulterate with alcohol. And so therefore it goes and then it evaporates and the smell goes away. What it does is it mixes in with your skin. And so this is such a powerful and sweet aroma that it will stay there for days. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a preacher, Tim Keller, who, who, who guesstimates or, 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 or uh, says that it's, it's possible, depending on how close the crucifixion was, that Jesus could have still had this aroma on him as he hung on the cross. It's that powerful and that long-lasting. The reason that it is so expensive is that it comes from the Himalayas in between Tibet and India. So you can imagine the cost of the transport. Now, by the time it is sold where it was sold here, the cost is 300 denarii. The, The average salary was a denarii a day. That's 300 days of work which would be the better part of a year's salary. So therefore, this perfume had the value of twenty-five, thirty thousand $30,000. Now, when we say that, then we can get a picture of the absolute shock of the disciples and the shock of Judas. Now, we know two things from this. First of all, we know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were people of some means. We don't know that they were rich, but poor people don't have a $30,000 uh, perfume thing. I mean, I don't know how many of you have that in your house, but I don't have one of those. And so, and so but, but that does not mean it was not just as much an act of extravagance. Because just because you're a person of means... Doesn't mean that you spend it all that more freely. As a matter of fact, any of you, those of you who have read The Millionaire Next Door know just the opposite. uh, That most millionaires are millionaires because they don't spend it. It was still a very extravagant act of love. Now we get further. Not only was it extravagant materially, but watch what else. It says, and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now again, in the other two it says that she broke open this whole thing and she started with his head. The other two don't mention the feet. Started with his head. Now to do that would have been the literal fulfillment of Psalm 23, 5. Thou anointest my head with oil in the presence of mine enemies. That would have been fulfillment of that scripture. And that's what she she was doing. She was anointing his head while he had enemies all around. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. The Bible says that she went to his feet. Literally the lowest part of the body. Literally the part that gets dirty the quickest. Literally the part that is in contact with the earth and spread that oil on that part of the body. Why? One reason was she was showing her complete devotion in washing the unworthy part of him. She was showing that that's where she deserved to be. Emily Dickinson has written many things that could be applied both to humans and to the Lord. And one of those shows a disparity when she comes into contact with her feeling of another person and there is there is language of faith here and i and i and and when i read this i i i i thought about mary listen to this his worthiness is all my doubt i'm sorry i'm sorry my worthiness is all my doubt his merit all my fear contrasting which my qualities do lowlier appear, lest I should insufficient prove for his beloved need the chiefest apprehension within my loving creed. So I, the undivine abode of his elect content, conform my soul as tour a church unto her sacrament. I believe that day what Mary was doing was showing her humility and the presence of an all-worthy God. But it doesn't stop there. There is not only extravagance in humility, there is intimacy. Read the next part of that verse. And wiped his feet with her hair. I'm not sure we can appreciate in this culture what an act of reckless abandon. What an act of intimacy that was. You see, in that culture, it was an act of shamelessness to let down your hair in public. The hair was never let down except in the presence of the husband and that only usually in the bedchamber. Mary was so lost in her love for him. And that love was so akin to what we think of as the ultimate intimacy, not just romance, certainly not physical, but in the tenderest places of the heart, that which we associate only with husband and wife. There is another Emily Dickinson poem Given in marriage unto thee, O thou celestial host. Bride of the Father and the Son. Bride of the Holy Ghost. Other betrothal shall dissolve. Wedlock of will decay. Only the keeper of this seal conquers mortality. Mary was given herself. That day into a celestial marriage, into a marriage with God. And so there is this, there is this intimacy. There's every reason not to do this. There is the reason of the enemies. There is the reason of common sense economics. There is the reason of the judgment of your peers. There is the reason of embarrassment, of being being labeled shameless. And she does it anyhow. Why? It was not for the purposes of not giving to the poor. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. You know, it's interesting that when we stop with the either or stuff, we start to see for the first time the both and. Jesus understood his life was giving to poor people. That's why he came. He gave up the treasures of heaven to come down and give to us. Jesus understood that necessity so much, he didn't need to defend it. He didn't need to explain it for a moment. C.S. Lewis said this. Those who have loved beyond this world are better able to love this world than those who have only known it. Those who have loved beyond this world are better able to love this world than those who have only known it. Her extravagance to Christ that day would increase her giving to the poor. You see, there's not a lot of explanation, not a lot of need for explanation about extravagance in the New Testament. But there is emphasis on going beyond what you think is extravagance. When the Bible, one of the things I love about Crown Ministries is that it doesn't talk about the 10% you give to the church. It talks about the 100% you give to God in various ways. It talks about your whole life. That's giving to God. Jesus acknowledged the tithe. He acknowledged it so much he didn't need a it. You tithe every mint and dill and in, and that's as it should be, he said. Of course. But you neglect the weightier matters. You neglect, you neglect the more important, and that is your heart matters. Of course you would give to the poor. That doesn't, that goes without saying. But I want to show you something today, he was saying, that really matters, and that is your devotion. That is your devotion. And so, Judas struck up with this thing that sounded very reasonable. Should have been given to the poor. Because he lived in an either-or world. Now, the Bible tells us he had an ulterior motive the Bible says he was a thief. Thief, by the way, the word used here in Greek is kleptes. We get the word kleptomania from it. Now, a kleptomaniac, as you know, is not a sock over the head, gun in the hand, hold up kind of thief. It's not a blatant thief. A, thief, a kleptomaniac is somebody who steals without being noticed. Steals little bits. Steals subtly, secretly, hoping not to be discovered just for the thrill. Just for the thrill. There's all kinds of emotional baggage that comes comes with with that kind of dysfunction. But, But the point here is that what Judas was labeled as is somebody who could have never been noticed. And it was his goal never to be noticed so that he could profit from his not giving. I want to ask you, Is that the way with some of you? You know, God will never miss this. I I could spend it over here and make myself happy and make them happy and not give it and just come out just all right. Everybody's a winner. And there are these subtle ways that we have of not loving God entirely. Not just with our money, but with our heart. There are these little prenuptial disengagements that we have. Oh, we give, but if things start to go wrong, I kind of want it back. Thank you very much. We're very careful. We are subtle about taking back that which really belongs to someone else. But when Jesus defended Mary, he did it like this. Let her alone in order that she may keep it. For the day of my burial. What a sweet thought that is. There are a couple of ways that we can behave toward one another. One of them is just to say what we think on the spot and justify it by saying, well, at least I was being honest. Another, though, is to look far enough ahead so that you will never regret what you just did. Mary was going to keep that day for as long as she lived. I don't know how long Jesus was around, but I know on his dying day, Mary was glad that she had that moment of giving everything to him. She would never regret that. Let me ask you if that's the way with you. If you treat that, the Lord like that, if you treat each other like that. You know where I learned this? You know where I learned how to do this? I I didn't learn this with with Mary or from Jesus. I I should've, but it took my wife to teach me this. When I met Becky, I came from a very conflict habituated family. I mean, we fought all the time. That's how I was raised because fighting was our form of intimacy. You know, fighting is a form of intimacy, It really is. If you can't get the positive stuff, you'll get the negative stuff because both give you attention. And so if somebody doesn't give you what you need, the full amount of attention in a positive way, you'll, you'll get them emotionally going so that they tune out of the world if it's only just to yell at you. And that's a form of intimacy. And that's the form of intimacy my family had. You know, we pretty much well ignored each other unless we were in an argument. And then we were paying full attention to one another. Thank you very much. Well, when I started going back, I remember this is, this is, this is one of our family uh, uh, repeating tales here. Um, she did something that really ticked me off. We'd only been going together for a month or so. And, and so I said, We need to take a walk. And I said, We're taking a walk. And I, and I turned to her and I said, Don't ever do that again. And she burst into tears. I said, What are you doing? <laughs> she said, I'm crying. I said, well, I can see that, but why? She said, you yelled at me. I said, and your point would be. You know, I, I just, I didn't understand. She said, I'm not used to being yelled at. I said, you're not? She, I couldn't imagine a family didn't fight all the time. That's where I came from. All my friends fought all the time. That's where I came from. Well, we not only have had a much better relationship than that. We just don't waste our time with that kind of stuff because she's taught me, you don't have to do that, but she's going a step further. We've been married for 28 years now, come July 2nd. And I, when, wherever I am, I cannot wait until the next time I'm with her. You know why? Because every time I leave her, she says something that makes me want to come back to her. Now, I know that in any given situation, she has the choice of me going out the door and her giving, her, you know, saying something snotty or something, you know, proving her point somehow. But every time I've gone out the door, she has told me of her appreciation, that she loves me and so on and so forth. One time I asked her, why do you do that? And she said this. She said, I don't know where I got this thought. But every time you leave me, I think to myself, what what if this is the last time I ever saw him? Would I be glad about what I just said or would I regret what I just said? Would I want him to remember what I just said? Would I want to remember what I just said? And so for 28 years, she has talked to me in a way she would always be glad of. You know, we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing with the Lord. We can do the same thing with each other. And I, and I know there's, there's that in us that wants to love like that because it's absolutely the best way. So we're going to take some time in just a moment to adore Christ to where if we walked out, uh, to, we walked out here today, got run over with a truck and went to be with the Lord. We say, remember what I said five minutes before I got killed? <laughs> just to adore Him. I want Tim and I want... Um, Michelle to come back, and I just want to spend a, a, some, some time with, with her singing a song to us to prepare our hearts, and then we're going we're gonna to pray and just adore him in our prayer before we close today.